your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Solo. All right, welcome to a Monday, kind of, of Lacrosse Talk PM, although it's... It seems like. It's yeah. Tuesday. Um, Brad Williams, that's Brad Williams, Wisdom News journalist in studio with me. Also... Uh, court reporter. Court reporter, also... Um, Director Brad Williams, yes, Mr. Director, is that what they call you? <laughs> that the Lacrescent, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. And, Not sure what they call me, but we, yeah, we're uh, preparing a, a musical for the Appleseed Theater Company in the which Crescent, will be coming up pretty soon. Yeah, what, what, when does that come up? That's uh, going to be late in June, so we're we're coming in uh, on that. Oh yeah, it's a couple of weekends, right? Three yes. weekends, Three, two weekends, two weekends. But when you say late in June. Opens the seventeenth. Seventeenth. There we go. Right. Um, Beatles. Beatles. It's uh, called "Let It Be." Let it be. And it's based on Beatles music. It's not about the Beatles, but it's based on characters who appear in their songs. Yeah. All right. Not why I had you in here, but no. I always like to just give you a little, a little boost there because, you know, people into the Beatles, so I think it's cool. Um, but you're in here because Judge Ramona Gonzalez who was going to retire in August, I believe. She is the first female judge in La Crosse County. She's been doing that job for 27 years. She wanted to retire. She said that a couple of months, would you say, a month, couple of months April ago? April 1st is when the governor's office said they were accepting applications for her because she was. we found out from the governor's office yep. at the time. And now we found out from the governor's office. Well, or, so, no, or, no, we, we found out from her office here in La Crosse County yep, that, that she has asked the governor to uh, delay further action on appointing a successor. She is not ready to retire. She, so she took she a little. Half, she's halfway through her six-year term. Yeah. She took a little vacation, it sounds like. And she's then she still, said, I understand she's still on vacation. We yeah, have not heard back. yeah, that's why she hasn't returned our phone calls. But she, yeah, she's on vacation. She's like, you know what? I, that's all I needed—a little vacation. A lot of people take a, a Memorial Day off. You we all get Monday off, or not you, but you know, other people get Monday off. I and most of Monday. You off. come back for the rest of the week, and you're like, all right, I feel better. This three day weekend—that's what you know. First of all, like we need as a society a three day weekend. I think uh, we should just ch- convert that. But that would be um, nice. But she comes back from vacation and says, you know what? I'm good to go. And maybe that's not her reasoning. She might never tell us her actual reasoning yeah, well, for wanting here, to come it back. It is but. a brief letter, and I have the copy of the letter that was sent to us. It says, Dear Governor Evers, respectfully, I must ask you to delay any further action on appointing a successor for me. After a month of vacation, in anticipation of my retirement, it is clear to me that I am not ready to retire. Thank you for your anticipated understanding and kindness in respecting my decision to remain on the bench at this time. Please accept my sincere apologies for any resulting inconvenience. She kind of uh, she kind of paved the the road there for Governor Evers to, to that that last sentence there. You know, my your anticipated like hey, by the way, you're just going to overlook the fact that I wanted to retire and you're trying to nominate a replacement and don't do that anymore. Right. I appreciate you not doing that now. Yes. Where Evers might be like, um, actually, I don't know what the rules are. That's what we're trying to figure out now. The next step is, um, can she do this? I think they had gone through some interviews. And my assumption is that they had already interviewed some people, but uh, they had not gotten to the point of appointing a successor. Now, we, we talked to somebody that wanted to run yes. in the special election. And there's former Lacrosse County Judge Candace Tullestage. We talked to her earlier this afternoon. Yeah, and so uh, what? How did she feel? Because you know, if if I want to run for this open seat, I've started to put in the work to run for this open seat, and now 
that's all for not. It's not going to. There's not going to be an election at this point. Right. Right. Next election is in 2025. Right. But how did she feel about that? You uh, talked she, to her. She, uh, having worked as a judge with Judge Gonzalez and also uh, knowing her for a few years, uh, she said that she's glad that the judge has uh, decided that she would like to remain in the job because being a judge is a good job. Yeah. I would say, though, as somebody who wants to... But she's to, ready also to run the next time there's an election. Right. And I would say, as far as somebody wanting to get get elected as a judge, a special election is probably the best way to do that. If there's an open seat, yes. If, basically, an open seat. because uh, most of the time, judges do not get opposition. Uh, the, last, the last time that there was uh, a sitting judge who was opposed was uh, Judge Telestash, and this was six years ago, and Gloria Doyle won that election. Okay. Um, it would be interesting if Governor Evers was like, mm, actually, you said you were retiring and that we're running with a special election. If you want to remain the judge for the rest of your term, actually, you, uh, you'll you have to run. <laughs> that, w- that would be interesting, and I uh, have, have not been able to get anybody from the uh, state office as an expert to say, does this happen very often, and what's the protocol in yeah. case of something like that? Yeah, that might be news we have tomorrow. And this this may be news for a while. This may be yeah, it's kind of a big deal, right? Like it doesn't seem like it, but it kind of is. It's unprecedented it is. a little it's, bit, right? It's rare. It's rare that a judge. I, I don't remember this happening. Before. And you remember everything. I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's There's Brad more Williams. Pressure on me, Rick. Thank you. <laughs> that's Brad Williams from the Wisdom Newsroom. You can read about the story at wisdomnews.com and and then uh, Tolifsted's comments will be up there uh, in a bit too. All right. Coming up on the show, UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale is going to be on with me. We're going to talk about I don't know if we're going to talk about this, but just his so his his expertise in political science. Part of that is political philosophy. So um, a lot of this uh, news Roe v. Wade gun debate, a lot of this stuff that's come up in the news lately and has been politicized. We're going to talk to Tim about that. He's kind of an expert in, you know, the ways that this stuff gets, the way, why this stuff gets politicized the way it does. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the politicization of catastrophes and crisis, crises. Uh, so, yeah, that's coming up. We'll be back after this. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. 608-785-7914 is the talk and text line. If you want to get in here, if you want to shoot me a text, 608-785-7914. Get out of here, Stone Temple Pilots. Come on in, Tim Dale. Dr. Tim Dale is a UW lacrosse political science professor. Uh, how, many of, how many of those guys are there? How many of you guys are there at UWL political science dudes? Yeah, we have uh, 10 faculty in our department, and um, some of us are in our public administration program, and then... Others are in political science, but we're one happy department together. How often do you guys all get in the same room and then just go, what is this world coming to? Well, it mostly <laughs> is in the hallways, and um, I feel bad for the students who have to walk by us because we we have impromptu lectures in the hallways <laughs> if anybody asks us a question. Well, and you can see all, when you're all huddled up in the hallway because every one of you has glasses with tape on, right? With tape on the side. Yeah, that's true. Although uh, we did get rid of the uh, leather elbow patches on our jackets a few years ago. So, what about pocket protectors? Do you guys still have those? Yeah, no, no, we don't have those. We just have um, like our our MacBooks ready to look up statistics to prove ourselves right. 
and others wrong. Yeah, all the political science professors are now wearing fanny packs so they can hold their MacBooks inside their fanny packs instead of pocket protectors and notepads. Yeah, actually, if you could find a fanny pack that would hold a MacBook, I might put it on my list. For that might be a million-dollar idea, right? Like some kind of, uh, yeah, just some some yeah. some holster, a MacBook holster, something like that. Yeah. Uh, write it down. How, how do we yeah. do that? How do we copyright it right here? This is our idea, so when yeah. it gets stolen. Yeah. Um, all right, so a lot of yeah, things. I'll pre-order today. Yeah, right. A lot of things that uh, I want to get to this whole list, and we're wasting time on uh, nerd talk, I guess. The, I feel like the movie Nerds is is re- coming back to, to mind. Um, the the really important story out of, I guess, out of London, right? This, the, You know, everything going on in the world, this seems like one of the, the biggest stories that is getting overlooked by the mainstream media uh, somebody's picking it up, but I don't see any mainstream media here in the U.S. talking about it. But there are a huge protest in London um, trying to ban. So another thing we're trying to ban, Tim Dale, um, the peach emoji, because it's too sexual. We're trying to ban the peach emoji. Uh, do you think that catches on here in the U.S. soon? Uh, well, as somebody who has a 14-year-old daughter, I am simultaneously concerned about what she's texting, but I also know that if they ban the peach emoji, the kids will find something else to be sexualized in the emoji. So I'm not sure it's a particularly useful fight, particularly with all the other things going on in the world. But what I do think it's an interesting example of is the outrage machine that exists, uh, particularly with social media, that all it takes is one or a small group of people to be outraged about something. And it's really easy to get a bunch of people fired up about it if you just have the right Twitter account. Yeah, obviously there there's probably this is this there's a picture and there's one, two, three, four, five, six people. They don't look like they're joking in the picture. They're you know, hands off our peaches is one of the signs. They all have signs. Uh this could be a total joke and they're they're posing. Uh but but, but it is a way to it is it is a way if if they were serious, it is a way to get attention on something when really it's just like six people that are that are yeah, that want yeah. some attention. Well, yeah, for sure. Although, you know, with the British sense of humor, sometimes it's even too dry to know what is joking and what's not. <laughs> uh, but yes, it would be, it, I, and I'd also feel bad for like peach growers who finally had a victory with getting an emoji and then it gets taken away because of something like this. Yeah, I mean, in the, the controversy here for anyone that doesn't know is the emoji looks like a butt. So, I mean, God forbid. Um, yeah. Well, and we don't necessarily have to go into it on, on your show, but I think that the kids have also allocated several other emojis to mean things. Uh, adults would just have to Google to find out why they're sending those fruits and vegetables to each other. Right, or ice cream, right? Chocolate ice cream. Yeah. I mean, they're right. very controversial. The chocolate ice cream, I'm surprised that hasn't been banned yet. We're banning stuff all across the nation. Um, but that gets into some of the some of the, 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 the avenue at which you are a political science professor – um, one of your expertise, I guess, is political philosophy. Um, can you explain that a little bit? Yeah, so um, the ideas behind the values and beliefs we have in politics came from somewhere. So the reason we believe democracy is good, when we believe democracy is bad, or why we believe we should have the freedom of speech, those ideas came from somewhere, and the people who wrote them into laws were reading great works of philosophy. So I spend a lot of time talking about the source of where our ideas came from. Um, one of my arguments is that James Madison was one of the greatest American political philosophers because he, when 
writing the Constitution is putting it in all kinds of ideas, great ideas, about how a society should function. So it really is about the philosophy behind our politics, and it really is the best way to understand politics is to understand why we believe what we believe, where these ideas came from. Now, with that, and this, I'm, I'm going to reel this back to the, to the peach, the banning of the peach. Uh, we have a, a U.S. House member talking about how the government is trying to track everything we're doing, include, and, and, and she brought up uh, peach tree dishes. Did you see this? Ma- Majori Taylor Green's comments over peach tree dishes? <laughs> I didn't see that. No, I didn't see that. Okay, well, I'll, just, I'll let you go find that in the break, and we'll talk about it maybe <laughs> after. Uh, you just ha- you have to just hear her little rant. I mean, just talk about somebody that's going okay. over the top. But we have this a, a lot. We have uh, left politicians on the left going way to the left. I, I feel like we have more politicians on the right going way to the right. But that might just be my my you know where what I believe my beliefs. Um, can can you explain why we have uh, this division widening? Do we have a widening gap? It seems like we do. But um, you and I were talking before yeah. the show. This might just be social media too. Well, and I think that the, we absolutely do have more what we say in political science is a polarized politics where people have gravitated to the polls, um, the more extremes of the the political spectrum that we have, the simplistic spectrum we have in the United States. Uh, as an aside, one of the reasons that many other countries don't have this problem is because they have multiple political parties. So if you imagine extremism doesn't exist the same way in politics when there isn't just two options. Um, but then in the United States, these two options tend to go in cycles. So we'll have a period of time when politics is really divisive, divided. So people may remember the Bill Clinton era with Newt Gingrich and the contract with America. And then we have Barack Obama running against Mitt Romney and John McCain for the presidency, where I had students in my classes saying, I don't see a difference between these two candidates. And now we're back to a a much more divided politics. So these things tend to have uh, an ebb and flow to them. Uh, But I would definitely not disagree that we are in a particularly polarized time in American politics. So how do we get out of it? I I feel we need to get out of this. This is this is not helpful. Do we do we get out of it? Yeah, well, it's going to take. It's going to take voters becoming interested in getting out of it. I think that one of the the good things and bad things about living in a democracy is you basically have what people who vote want. And right now, voters on both sides are voting for, in larger numbers, not obviously everybody, are voting for more extreme candidates on each side. And so I think one of the ways we see this is in how primary battles are, are playing out across the country and have for the last several years where you have maybe a more centrist or moderate candidate who's running, and then you have a a, a candidate who's positioning himself as more extreme uh, running against them. And then the more extreme candidate is the one oftentimes who can win a primary, uh, at least right now. And so that's where we're seeing that kind of gravity happening. Um, toward the, the what were what used to be the margins of the political parties, um, and now seem to be kind of where the political parties are positioned. We're speaking with UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale. All right, Tim. So um, this might be just the way I'm I'm the way I am leaning politically, but do we are we seeing more right candidates go further to the right versus left candidates going further to the left? I have a U.S. House race in Minnesota in the first congressional district here in Minnesota. Uh, right across the river. That's my district. We just had a special election primary. Um, be- both both parties. It's an open seat. So, 
the the Republicans in the race are going, you know, to the to the places you would see Republicans like voting integrity, stuff like that. The Democrats in the race uh, kind of playing it down the middle. Also, one of the Democrat, the Democrat that won was a former CEO of Hormel Foods and the Democrat that lost kind of the number two guy was a former George W. Bush ethics lawyer. Um, so, so when I look at yeah, that race yeah. and my race is pretty rural, it's got, it's got Rochester in it, but it's pretty, it's a pretty rural district all along the bottom half of, of Minnesota there. Um, I just look at that and I go, okay, well the, the candidates in the democratic party are, are a CEO and a George W. Bush lawyer. Them, those two guys seem pretty Republican. And then the Republicans running are very Republican. If you want to go very right to the, but that might just be because my, my district is, is, is. I'll just do the the rural voters, so it's it's a little bit more conservative. Yeah, and actually, I, when I was in South Carolina, I was there for two years, um, and there was the every single Democratic candidate would be running as a Republican in the state of Wisconsin. So it's it's a, a similar situation, maybe even uh, more extreme. I think that uh, one of the things we're seeing right now is that. Um, there were a lot of arguments below the surface, particularly in uh, among conservatives, that they felt that a battle wasn't being fought on behalf of their ideas. So, for example, uh, and, and it, an issue would be immigration or gun control or abortion. And so there were a lot of conservatives who felt like they were being left behind by a party that didn't necessarily put those things as top priorities. And so I think one of the reasons we, we are seeing maybe more Republican candidates, um, there's a lot more anger on the side of Republicans, uh, particular Republicans who care about those issues I just mentioned. And I think Trump kind of activated a lot of that, almost gave permission uh, to some Republicans to care about some issues that maybe weren't being featured in national debates. So I think you're right. I think we do see some more uh, movement in the Republican Party further to the right. But I think that this is also a reaction to some Republican voters have seen as the party moving away from some of the things that they care about. So I think that's where right now at this point in history, we're seeing more movement in the Republican Party than the Democratic Party. I would say, well, you say we we see Republicans angry. I would say in the last two months, based on two things that just happened, um, a leak document from the U.S. Supreme Court on Roe v. Wade and a massacre last week of 19 uh, elementary school kids, I would say, not that Republicans aren't angry, but I would say that those two things fired Democrats up in a way that made them very angry as well. Right, and this is where I think that uh, the getting, getting politics into these very sensitive issues is a way that it really does mobilize voters. So we can imagine Democratic voters who may have been disappointed with Joe Biden or not particularly happy with their representatives, and suddenly within the last month or two have really had things that happen that galvanize them politically. And so one of the big questions going into this midterm election this fall is that the combination of tragedies around guns and uh, potential Supreme Court decisions around abortion um, are we going to see a higher Democratic turnout than we normally would see in a midterm election of a Democratic president? I mean, it's a famous midterm, a president's first midterm, where they lose all kinds of seats in Congress. This happened to every single modern president except for George W. Bush because 9-11 happened right before his first midterm. Uh, but then his next midterm was a, a complete disaster for Republicans. Um, are we going to see that same trend hold, or is 
is the kind of thing that's happening right now mobilizing more Democrats? Because I think you're right. This is exactly the kind of thing that can mobilize voters. And I think it's just a matter of waiting to see if that actually happens. That's UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Tim Dale. We're going to continue this conversation when we come back. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM 608 785 7914 if you want to shoot me a text. UW Lacrosse Political Science Professor Dr. Tim Dale is in here with me. And his specialty in political science is political philosophy. And we're just, you know, we were kind of diving into. a lot of different things there. Um, I did get a text as we started to talk about these uh, two major things that happened in the last couple of, well, one last week and then the other one a couple, was it a month ago or maybe a little more than a month ago, is the, the leaked document about the U.S. Supreme Court's decision to essentially overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, a, a texter said that that document was leaked by by the libs, I think, is, is except a lib leaked it is the text I got, Tim. And in knowing not and knowing nothing about like the history of stuff that happening like this, and maybe maybe this stuff has never happened like this before. In my head, I'm like, ah, I could see a Republican leaking that document as well. I, I just uh, what, do you have like a do you have like a conspiracy theory on that? Yeah, well, I, I just know what I know studying politics, and that is, I'm not sure it gave Democrats any advantage, and. Your listener will have to follow along with this a, a little bit just because it'll take a couple of steps. But um, so Democrats releasing this early is bad because the decisions are going to come out in June, which is much closer to the general election and putting it on the front page. So coming out early might actually make it have less of an impact in the election. But what does make a difference is these justices could have still changed their mind. And so we may have seen a conservative justice change their mind on the decision. And what the leak does is it locks the justices into what they were going to vote to begin with. There's no changing now because of what the public knows. I think it's much more likely that it was a conservative clerk who was worried that a justice would change their mind and so therefore wanted to get it out so that it would not only kind of lock in the justice, but also start the outrage machine so it didn't completely dump in June when the decisions are released. Well, that and and it gets a it gets a little bit of that rage out of the way. You know, maybe that reignites in June. But the the further away you can get that from the election, uh, you know, probably the better for for one side or the other. I don't know. Is it, it, it would would it ignite? I mean, if you if you release that right when voting started, would it help Republicans or Democrats more? Could you even figure that out? Yeah, so, the well, for Republicans, it definitely helps in primaries for more conservative candidates. Yeah. Um, if, if, it's gonna, if the information is going to drop for sure, either June or May or April, you would rather have it earlier if you know it's going to be a controversy that's going to raise a bunch of money for your opponents. Um, I'm just not sure that a, a clerk at the Supreme Court is necessarily thinking about the ins and outs of electoral politics. It probably is just someone thinking, this is big news. I want this out right now um, so that we can like move on from this thing and not have it be a huge issue come uh, June. Or someone who's actually nervous that the decision actually isn't going to be made the way that they think it is. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, the, the, not everybody is a conspiracy theorist and thinking about like how the uh, this will swing the election. They might actually just care uh, about the issue at hand, right? Right, and actually, I've heard a lot more Republicans be nervous about both the 
not necessarily the leak, but the decision itself, because that if this decision would have been made next year after a Republican landslide, there would there wouldn't be any fundraising off of it because of the it would already have the midterm elections would have already happened. So it has actually an official, not the leak, but the decision itself coming out. If it was to happen the next year, this year, that Democrats are an advantage to be able to raise money and argue against it, as opposed to waiting until after a bloodbath at the midterms. Yeah, I mean, it's going to raise money for, for both sides either way. Uh, it's very itchy to talk about how uh, we need this leak to uh, stuff our campaign funding coffers. <laughs> like it's just, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and that Especially gets, for a body that's supposed to be above politics. Yeah, and I don't know if we have enough time to dive into uh, the divisions in the Supreme Court, even even in Wisconsin. But um, transitioning that to another even more itchy conversation about how uh, 19 elementary school children are killed by a gunman. And that turns into, again, a gun debate that, you know, what, in two weeks dies down into nothing and nothing gets changed and um, can can you explain a little bit about how something so horrific as 19 kids in an elementary school being killed by a gunman uh, turns into a gun debate and then nobody and then nobody agrees on it. We're still split politically on on something that, you know, it seems it seems obvious that something needs to change. Right. Well, and I think that it, the, the way it, it happens is that there's no way that this kind of crisis doesn't get politicized. Um, because it is a political question whether we should do something about it or not. And I think baked into the gun rights position is the argument that freedom shouldn't be traded even if it's going to cause catastrophe. And as difficult as it that is to say out loud, it really is one of the kind of uh, principles of a conservative interpretation of the Second Amendment is that even when bad things happen, we still shouldn't have our gun rights taken away. But then the the other side of it is that the like disasters happening means that we could do something or we should be able to do something. And that's why we see the debate happen, is because one side of this political divide believes that even if there is a right to own guns, we can significantly... Uh, curtail them if it means helping society not have disasters. And the other side says, well, disasters are going to happen. Freedom is more important than uh, preventing these kinds of disasters. And so I think that's where the ultimate debate comes down and one that we see playing out every time there's uh, a tragedy like this. Well, and I think you just grabbed the tagline for Republicans who are much better at taglines than Democrats. Um, Republicans run on this going, uh, yeah, we want our freedom and Democrats want to take away your freedom. And that's all they have to say. <laughs> right. But we do. But this is, this is the same debate we have on everything. We have it about health care. We have it about choice in public schools. If the government is making decisions for us, that is going to restrict some kinds of freedom. But then it exchanges for other kinds of freedom. Like and, and, and by the way, this isn't just political. It's also after 9-11, we saw government searching people's library records. There, there, was a, there, there is always a trade-off between freedom and the kinds of benefits that we see in society. And it's just that Americans have a particularly unique, actually, given the rest of the world, take on gun rights, where the rest of the world is perfectly fine regulating guns. 
um, and essentially banning them. And it is a particular part of American culture where we have a gun control debate. But it is a similar philosophical argument to the one about people's freedom to choose health care versus government providing health care. There's a trade-off between the benefits of society and the quote-unquote freedom that people have to make those decisions for themselves. Well, you say that we're split on on gun reform as compared to the rest of the world, but are we really split on that, or are 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 politicians split on that, and therefore whoever's well, voting for them are split on it? When overall, the consensus in the United States is we should probably pass some gun reform laws. Uh, the majority, I think, of the population is like that, but the people voting for each candidate that in their territories, right, wouldn't wouldn't be like that. Right. So it, that's, that's a really good point. And so like 52% of people right now say that we should, uh, that laws for firearms should be more restrictive. Um, the, the problem with politics then is that those polls don't tell you what people are willing to restrict. So just saying guns should be more restrictive um, doesn't mean that what the legislatures will actually vote on will be something that's acceptable. I mean, it's, it's kind of like the abortion ban issue is that um, Democrats are, are often proposing legislation that would be acceptable to some Republicans. Um, but then the, the issue is, like hunters in the state of Wisconsin are going to feel differently about gun control legislation if there are things that make it harder for them to get guns. So you ask people in Wisconsin walking down the street in La Crosse, should the government regulate guns? And they say, sure, AR, whatever rifles should be banned, but don't come after my hunting weapons. Um, and so they, they, would, they would say that, but then it, they could be easily frightened into believing that gun control legislation is a slippery slope, and they don't want government mucking around with people's rights. And I think that's where, rhetorically speaking, we, we see people much more split in how they're willing to vote as opposed to how they answer a question do you think there should be more gun control or less gun control? Yeah, and that's the problem with trying to get the public sentiment on something is you have to generalize it to make it easily understandable. But if you start diving into the minutia of do you where do you feel on red flag laws? And then everyone's like, well, what is, you know, I think a lot of people probably don't even understand what red flag laws are. We've tried to discuss it here, and then some of the callers I get are like, you know, trying to describe what they think it is. I'm like, nope, that's that's not what it is at all. You, your interpretation of red flag laws is way off. But, uh, you know, you can't get a consensus on uh, public opinion on something when, the, the you know, it's more complicated. Right, right, absolutely. And, and, and that's that, where Democrats have a hard time articulating <laughs> right. it because it's more complicated to argue that. Right. If Democrats uh, try to try to try to uh, describe uh, the de- in detail something that they want to change when it has something to do with guns and Republicans go no freedom, <laughs> so like that's just the easiest way to do that, uh, and that's right. that's the way most people think because they're not diving into the the, the issues uh, specifically in politics. I don't think they're um, you know they're not deep diving. I just have two minutes left here, Tim. Um, we're talking with UW lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale. Um, how much of a role does social media, do you have enough time? Do you have two minutes? Do you have enough time to describe how social media has ruined yeah. all of this? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we talked earlier about um, polarized politics, and I think social media is, is particularly susceptible to the kind of angry politics. People have always gotten angry about politics and meeting in bars and taverns. We, we argue with each other. But there's something about social media. Anytime you go to a message board, you see people saying things that they would never, ever say to people in person. And I think that really has, like, 
cultivated extremism, even people who aren't that extreme. Um, and so I think one of the things we need to figure out as a democratic society is how we have political debates with each other, like we're belonging to the same society. Uh, and, and so that's why I think a general rule is only say to people online what you're willing to say to their face. Um, but it really has, I think, impacted how the, the tone of our politics and maybe even the polarization we see. Well, and you threw a stat at me off the air. How many people in Wisconsin are on Twitter, like a percentage? Uh, I have no idea. I, we have made it up. I think it's like 5% of the voters are on Twitter or something like that. Oh, well, oh uh, you just... a real temptation you, for... Yeah. Oh, was that a made-up number you told me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That would be interesting if we up, knew that. It would, be worth, it would be worth taking a look at. All right. Welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM, 608-785-7914 if you want to shoot me a text. I'm just going to wrap up here, though. Uh, thanks again to UW Lacrosse political science professor Dr. Tim Dale for joining me. Pretty interesting talk. Uh, and Brad Williams for stopping in to talk about the Ramona Gonzalez coming back. She's coming back. She's not going to retire now. Uh, we also on the website, no more May, last day of the day, last day of the year, no more May, last day of the year, last day of the month. How about that? There we go. Last day of the month, no more May. It's literally in the title, Rick. Um, how, how are your lawns looking <laughs> after I, I've seen a couple of lawns that are pretty, pretty, pretty bad or good, I guess, depending on how you want to look at the situation. Cause obviously we are doing no more May to promote long lawns and dandelions and whatever else grows in your yard. Did anyone have anything really interesting grow in their yard that they didn't expect a sunflower? Maybe. I mean, I put bird seed out in the winter and, um, every once in a while, where I put that bird seed out, I'll get some sunflowers. So if you're putting bird seed out and then you don't mow that area under your bird feeder, um, but other places, did you did you find any any weeds that weren't maybe weeds that you were like, oh, this is growing, that's cool. I maybe I'll keep that. Uh, did anyone convert convert their yard? You know what? And this is ridiculous. I have this lawn. It's it's gross. I'm just gonna dig it up and and put in some native prairie in this area. Then I don't have to mow it ever. I just, I really don't understand. I get like having a lawn because my neighbor has a really nice, I don't have a lawn at all, but my neighbor has a really nice lawn and uh, my dog really loves rolling in lawn. So we just cruise over there. He, he, he loves my dog. So it's not like I'm invading. Well, I hopefully I'm not, but uh, we, uh, his yard is huge too. I mean, and he loves mowing lawns. So some of y'all probably love mowing your lawn and that's, that's a thing. I grew up having to do that. Didn't really love it. Now, even now go home. Parents are like, hey, you want to help mow the lawn? Because we have a fleet of tractors. I'd be like, yeah, I guess. Even though I'm like, eh, actually, I haven't mowed the lawn in, in a while. So, yeah, it's all right. But I don't know. Uh, the idea of mowing lawn every week or twice a week now or three times a week for some of you now because your your grass is so long. And, you know, for those of you that did this and are listening and you want to shoot me a text, let me know. Hey, shoot me a text what your lawn looks like. Shoot me a text if maybe something grew in your lawn that you didn't expect did you get a potato plant? Did you throw a potato out in the yard and now it's turned into a potato plant? Uh, if you have a dog, uh, sometimes the, my dog takes uh, fruit out. Just I'm just going to take this outside. See you later. Or a potato. She'll carry a potato around. One, one winter, it was a frozen orange she played with all winter. Just a big block of orange that she played with. She'd toss it around in the driveway. It was just a frozen ball to her. And then in the when it melted, then it got kind of weird. But yeah, shoot me a text, 608-785-7914 if you 
uh, what your lawn looks like, if you found anything growing in your lawn that you didn't expect, and and just would you would you be up for this again? I guess a better question would be starting tomorrow when you try to mow your lawn, or the day after. You know, do you regret doing no mow May because? Oh, this is this is awful. I have to mow this this huge this huge field now when when before it was it was, you know, it was easy to do because it it, it I didn't have to do three or four sweeps of my lawn. I didn't have to put my lawnmower to the highest setting and do three or four sweeps of it. <laughs> so, um all right, a couple other things going on. I just want to bring this up starting I uh well, that one's full. I want to do. Oh, we do. We do have a Brewers bus trip. I was going to say we still have a local gift card sale at AroundRiverCity.com. So just in case you want to go check that out, there's it's it's fifty bucks. You get fifty bucks worth of gift cards for thirty dollars. Pretty good deal. Go to AroundRiverCity.com. And also, we have a Brewers bus trip coming at the end of June, June twenty sixth. Brewers and Blue Jays. It's a pretty good game. Eighty five dollars. That gets you luxury motor coach transportation. Uh, we'll leave it on Alaska. Uh, and then there's a tailgate party from Premier Catering. So you get all the goodies with that. Uh, so June 26th, Brewers, Blue Jays, a 1.10 p.m. game too. So afternoon game. So you're, you're back, you know, pretty not super late on, on a Sunday night. So check that out, aroundrivercity.com. Um, also... Radio Stuff Store, I think that's where you get that one. RadioStuffStore.com. But the gift card one, 30 bucks for $50 worth of gift cards. That one's, that's awesome. Anyway, that's all the time I have for today. Again, one more time, thanks to Tim Dale from UWL for joining me and Brad Williams. We'll do it again tomorrow.